I have everybody's attention now? Ladies and gentlemen. Hey, yo. Welcome to the biggest draw for the critics, the marks, the casual, and the hardcore. Touchdown in the hell! Touchdown in the hell! You freak! You monster! Touchdown, the son of a bitch! All the way to hell! Oh, my God! Uncut, uncooked, and uncensored. King Kong is climbing the Empire State Building! Introducing first, from parts unknown, our resident Mark, Johnny Smart. Well, let me tell you something, brother. Next, coming down the aisle, the unstoppable force, the immovable object, Doc Haas. Haas. I can't help that I'm custom made. I can't help it that I look good, smell good, can't dance all night long. I'm breaking the fourth wall. And what up, fam? Welcome to the biggest draw for the critics, the marks, the casual, and the hardcore. I am your host, the babyface of podcasting, JC Bones. And I'm the smart slayer, Doc Haas. And we are the Fourth Wall WrestleCast, and we can be found every Saturday exclusively on the Wrestle Addict Radio Network. Inconspicuous by his absence this week is the third man, Johnny Smarks. He's going to be out on assignment for a couple weeks, so in his absence, Johnny's going to be bringing to us a new show called Smarky's Singles Run. While Johnny is out on assignment, his show will drop every Thursday of that week, so if you haven't listened to it this week yet, check back in the episode catalog and listen in to episode one of Smarky's Singles Run. So I've been getting a lot of questions from members of the Fourth Wall fam. They go, hey, JC, hey, Bones, how can we support the Fourth Wall WrestleCast? <laughs> well, let me tell you, there's a few ways you could help support the Fourth Wall WrestleCast. First, give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram. Check us out at Fourth Wallcast. That's the number four, T-H-W-A-L-L-C-A-S-T. But doesn't just stop there. Also, when you're listening to this show, did you hit that subscribe button? You don't want to miss a new episode, do you? So make sure you search for Wrestle Addict Radio or Fourth Wall WrestleCast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, whatever platform you're listening to us on, and make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. But wait, there's more. You have to make it official when you're rocking the fresh, new, fourth wall swag. We got fourth wall t-shirts, we got fourth wall hoodies available for purchase on represent.com. Go to represent.com and search for Wrestle Ads Radio and pick up your fresh, new, fourth wall merch. But that's not all. We have a big announcement. Starting February 1st, we're going to officially be launching our Patreon page. 
So starting then, you can go to patreon.com backslash fourth wall wrestlecast, and for as low as $1 a month, you will receive exclusive audio content, exclusive video content, exclusive merchandise, rewards, and much, much more. So stay tuned to our Twitter for more information regarding the launch of our Patreon page. That'll be patreon.com backslash fourth wall wrestlecast. On today's episode, the Doc and I are going to take an adventure on the indies and we're going to discuss more about all elite wrestling and the buzz it is creating within the wrestling industry. We're then going to discuss some WWE news from Raw and SmackDown this week as we approach the Royal Rumble event and how quickly the main event scene is already changing. We're going to end off today's show with our segment, Hashtag Be Involved, which is a segment where members of the Fourth Wall fam can tweet at us using the hashtag Be Involved, or slide into our DMs and let us know your thoughts, questions, concerns, anything. And we had a member of the Fourth Wall fam reach out to us who had a very cool question about the different eras in wrestling. So Doc and I are going to hop into our time machine, take us back to 1952, and we're going to go on a journey through the early years of wrestling we're going to talk about bruno san martino the golden era attitude era and bring us back to current day the new era of wrestling so doc before we get into the topics for today we got to talk about nxt uk takeover blackpool tony wins tony so, wins tony wins i don't tony know where wins, to begin tony wins tony wins tony wins tony wins so many tony good wins, things happen at this wins, show tony wins, but i tony think wins, you want to talk wins, about tony wins tony fucking wins baby tony Woo! fucking storm wins the nxt uk women's championship tony fucking wins baby and i wasn't expecting it i was freaking stoked i was marking out all over my apartment i totally thought Rhea was going to hold this title for a while and when Tony won that match, I just, ah, it was amazing. She's my favorite. I cannot wait to see this woman's career grow. She's going to be a Raw champion, SmackDown women's champion. She should be a Raw women's champion now. She should be a SmackDown women's champion. Well, no, I mean, not SmackDown. Becky's on SmackDown. <laughs> but it was freaking, uh, it was awesome. It was my it was my favorite, not my favorite match, my favorite moment of TakeOver. That was definitely my favorite moment, too, of that entire event. Uh, definitely didn't see it coming. I really thought Rhea was going to hold on to that title for much longer. But it was definitely the, the feel-good moment of the night, and that was well-deserved. But you said it, man. She's going to be phenomenal over on Raw and or SmackDown, wherever she ends up. But she'll be the face of the NXT UK Women's Division for a while until they find someone to take her place. So they have to start developing the undercard now in the Women's Division and start growing some more stars. Such as Diana Parata. Or Dakota Kai. Or Diana Parazzo. Okay, or Diana Parazzo. <laughs> Dakota Kai could be off there, too, in that question. Yeah, sure, whatever. Anyway. So what do you, you think is going to happen now with Rhea Ripley? Is she going uh, to have a rematch? Is she still going to be feuding with Tony? Like, what's going to happen now? I think it's still open to feud with Tony. I don't think there's any reason why they can't do this again at the next, whenever the next. They announce another TakeOver UK yet? They haven't yet, but I'm going to assume they're probably going to hold four or five a year, kind of like NXT does. I would think maybe it'll hold them eventually on the weekends of like, you know, the non-Big Five pay-per-views. Yeah. Like Elimination Chamber or or um, Backlash or Hell in a Cell. Something maybe they'll like do that. the TakeOver yeah. UKs on those weekends. Then we can double up almost every month on, on pay-per-views. Exactly. If they're smart, that's I'm, they're smart. I'm sure it's what they're going to do. Right. Well, but the overall production of TakeOver Blackpool was just hands down one of the best events I've seen 
from the lighting, from the stage, from the arena, the way it was laid out. Everything was just perfect. Uh, I loved the, the, the video packages they had throughout the entire night. Uh, great commentary, too. Uh, Nigel and Vic Joseph fucking yeah, killed it. Yeah, man. That yeah, was, Vic, it was kind of like a little coming out party for Vic Joseph, if you asked me. Definitely was. I, I couldn't thought he was more. fantastic, man. Yeah, really, yeah. really good. And also just every single match, man, was amazing storytelling. Every single match developed storylines, developed characters. It was just hands down one of the best events I've seen in a very, very long time. Even the Dave Mastiff, uh, Eddie Dennis match, where they got maybe, what, 10 at the most 15 minutes? Yeah. And they told a great story in the time they had. It was wrestling 101. You take the time you have and you make the most of it. And every single match followed that philosophy, especially what I thought was the match of the night, uh, the tag title match. Uh, I thought the Grizzled Young Vets and Mustache Mountain was an awesome match. I thought the right team won. I was very happy exactly. to see the heels in there. That made way more sense in that situation. Yeah, if I had to give out some stars to any of these matches, that tag match would definitely get five stars. Hands yeah. down. In my was, opinion, that was a five-star match. Absolutely. Definitely Absolutely. Was. And you could tell they trust the performances. They gave them like 35 fucking minutes to go out there and put on a clinic on storytelling, how, how to be... How to have spots that were meaningful to to the overall development of their story, of the match itself. Uh, what's his face? Tyler Bate, big strong boy, had that, that one spot where he did the airplane spin with both Drake and Gibson on his back. Yeah! Fucking unbelievable, man. They just awesome. had awesome spots. And I think you said it uh, before, the right team won. You know, I, I as much as everyone wanted Mustache Mountain, everyone thought Mustache Mountain was going to win because they could be the very easily the face of NXT UK. The right team won because now this feud can still continue. They can still mm-hmm. put on even better matches, and mm-hmm. we're going to see more development now out of the Grizzled Young Vets, which I do yes, hope absolutely. they eventually use that name because I don't want to call them Gibson and Drake anymore. Yeah, it's real corny. They yeah. need to have their name back. Yeah, sooner than later. Um, and also another big thing that happened too was uh, the debut of Walter. Uh, it's been long awaited, and I think I said it when we first talked about when we first heard that he got a contract. Walter's going to be the one I think to end Pete Dunne's reign. It makes the most sense. He's the big no namer who comes from the Indies. Who everyone who knows the Indies knows he's a fucking monster. You know all all the smart marks out there who who follow the Indies know who Walter is. They know that he's had amazing matches with guys like Matt Riddle and Keith Lee in the past, and I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. he's faced guys like Pete Dunne, maybe even Tyler Bate on the Indies as well at some point. But everyone knows what Walter's capable of in the smart mark uh, territory. Now he's going to be more mainstream on WWE television, and he's going to be the guy to end Pete Dunne's reign. He's definitely going to be the most formidable challenge yet to Pete Dunne's reign. Um like you said, you you pretty much touched on it all. He's wrestled the who's who on the indie circuit. Guys who are in WWE now, guys who aren't in WWE now. He's got the size. He's got an awesome character. He's got kick-ass entrance music. Little fun fact: the New World Symphony, which is which is Walter's entrance theme, is my favorite piece of classical music in the entire universe. So just that alone gets me excited. <laughs> and it's actually funny because remember a few weeks ago we were talking about that, uh, that guy Marcel Bartel, when he was singles in NXT, he came out with that music. Right, that right, right, theme. right. This is typical right, re- re- recycling of other people's uh, theme music. <laughs> no, it's, it's, been a, it's 
been a long, long past time of uh, WWE. I, I just saw recently saw Ricky the Dragon Steamboat's WWE entrance theme recycled for a for a pre-match vignette at the 97 Royal Rumble between Shawn Michaels and Psycho Sid. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh man. Enjoy that next time you're binge watching the Royal Rumble like right. I've been doing. <laughs> awesome. But yes, Walter's I think Walter could be the one to dethrone Pete Dunn. You know, obviously Pete Dunn can't be champion forever, but man, it's been an impressive reign. I wouldn't be surprised to see if they maybe try to get to the two year mark with him before maybe Walter finally topples him. He's the only, he's the first person in NXT I've seen so far, or NXT UK so far, that I would feel comfortable saying, hey, you can beat this guy ahead. Right. But if they did that, they would have to push it off till around SummerSlam time to whenever they hold their next takeover there. So if they don't That's do anything good. else between now and then, that could be a slow burn. I mean, again, they only have one hour a week. Like NXT does, but it gives them a lot more time to develop storylines, develop characters, introduce some of the new faces like Walter, and really build into something big for a SummerSlam weekend. Walter doesn't have to win his first match against Pete Dunne either. Pete Dunne can win the first match, and then maybe and the rematch is closer to SummerSlam, and that's when Walter wins. Right. And I think they're. I, I think it's good. I think they're going to have to see and see how the audience takes to Walter too. Are they going to? Cheer him or they go to boo him? Is he a face? Is he a heel? Well, you know? he got quite the pop when he came out. Yeah, but is he going to keep that pop with the UK audience once uh, he starts feuding with their beloved Pete Dunne? That's a good point. I'm just waiting to see now. We've got to wait and see how, how, they, how creative writes him on uh, NXT UK television. But before we move on to our other topics, let's talk about some other new signees that uh, were in attendance at TakeOver Blackpool. We got to see the likes of Luke Menzies, who was a signee, I believe, middle of last year to the NXT Performance Center. He's the rugby player, right? He's a rugby player, correct. Uh, And I think NXT UK is definitely a great spot for him. So, well, I'm sure he'll have a rugby gimmick. Uh, he probably could, but I kind of hope that they don't. I kind of hope they give him something different. One is WWE not given the gimmick like of your past job or right. your heritage or something like that. That's a good. Remember point. when they tried to make fucking Becky a goofy ass leprechaun when she started? <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> Who the fuck thought that was a good idea? <laughs> but uh, we also got to see. Two superstars, which I'm very excited to see now under the WWE umbrella, uh, Kaylee Ray and Jazzy Gabbard. First of all, I'm so fucking psyched that Jazzy Gabbard is signed and she is coming back. She was in the first Mayon Classic, really amazed the shit out of everyone, got signed to the Performance Center, but got injured very quickly and was out for a while. Right. And while she was out on injury, I actually heard her being interviewed uh, by Edge and Christian on the ENC podcast. Um, and I, from the way she sounded, it didn't sound like she was going to be coming back t- to wrestling anytime soon. Like she, that might've been a career ending injury, but I'm really happy to see that she came back and she's going to be a force to reckon with in the women's division. She could be like the Walter in the, of the women's division over at NXT UK. Right. So yeah, obviously she's going to be someone that's going to challenge Tony Storm at the top of the card quite frequently. Um, I said NXT UK needs, we said it before, they got to develop like other women and they need to do it quick because there's some buzz now. So you better get some quality opponents besides, you know, Rhea Ripley for Tony Storm. Right, exactly. 
All right, well, listen, let's get into our topics, but we got some breaking news, Doc. Breaking news. Breaking news. It has been reported earlier today the beloved Revival has asked for their release. Now, does that shock you? Nope. I mean, I'm surprised they lasted this long. I felt there was hope for them. I mean, we've seen them on TV every week for at least the past month, maybe even two months. Creative sucks, yes, but they did get a yeah. win. They did get a win on Monday against Lucha House Party. It's just it's creative raw creatives having such a hard time with the raw tag division and SmackDown isn't much better. It's better, but not much better. But most importantly, I mean, they asked for their release now that there's another option for them in America. And they're both Southern boys. They're both from the Car- from North Carolina. You know, this is it's going to be like going home to them to go to AEW, which is probably going to have a very WCW vibe to it, I would think. Like in my imagination, that's what I'm seeing, like those 1990s Nitro and 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 Thunder vibes to start off for them, you know. So it makes sense that the Revival's leaving. I think they're going to end up in AEW. I mean, why not? Same with same with uh, the other shocking. Uh, uh, rumor, I guess, coming out that Goldust asked for his release, or Dustin Dustin Runnels, um, who's the brother, of course, of Cody Rhodes, who is the some the president. I guess was he the president of AEW? What's his actual position name? CEO, president, chairman, C- executive so he's vice the tri- president. He's the Triple H of AEW. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. So that. You know, Goldust and, you know, Dustin and, and Cody have always wanted to work a big feud against each other. And they never got the opportunity to work a big feud in WWE against each other. That's something that could have been a WrestleMania match. And WWE never went down that road. So maybe it becomes a double or nothing match now. Yeah, I mean, Goldust has been very open on his Twitter, on his social media over the past, actually since All In. He was all for All In. He was all about Double or Nothing, All Elite Wrestling. He always hypes up and plugs uh, his brother's promotion and his shows and everything. So do you think the Goldust character would do well in AEW, or would he just have to be Dustin Rhodes or Dustin Um Runnels? I'm sure WWE owns the Goldust character, so there won't be a Goldust character. I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. It should be a Goldust-like character, because think about when he was in TNA. He was always some kind of face-painted character when he was in TNA for a short time, when he was in WCW for a short time. You know, I kind of wouldn't mind to see the throwback. Like, no face paint, no nothing. The natural. Yeah, thank you. I forgot his I think he was Dustin Rhodes at that time. The natural Dustin Rhodes. Natural Dustin Rhodes, yes. Yeah. Like that's what I would like to see because you know he hasn't really, you know, he hasn't really done that in years. So why not kind of take this opportunity to to quote unquote reinvent yourself again, or maybe or in this case do a throwback and be the natural and you go on and you have a brother versus brother fight with Cody or or fight with anybody. You can go fight Jericho. You know, with that character, Jericho's completely reinvented his character too since leaving WWE. Right. I think Goldust is going to be, you know, kind of along the same lines. You know, Jericho has been a pretty radical departure from Rockstar Y2J. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you're going to see the same out of Goldust. 
Yeah, but also there's a good question. You know, with Goldust being so old and he's been in the game for so long, maybe he doesn't want to uh, actively wrestle anymore. He may want to go to AW and work behind the scenes with Cody, with the Bucks, and kind of help with the business aspect of it too. I feel like for me that makes more sense. Um, we saw it after Cody left WWE. Goldust, creative had nothing left for Goldust. Uh, I don't think his character has gotten stale by any means. He's one of the few Attitude Era characters that was able to keep his character over to the present day wrestling, and his and his character still gets over. But I just don't think there's anything left for him in creative at this time. You know, he's in that same category as guys like Mark Henry. I'm sorry, Mark Henry already retired. Um, Big Show, Kane, where they're still around and they're still just kind of there. But they don't really do much. So I think Goldust is nothing left for him in terms of being an active competitor. Well, well, Kane, I wouldn't put in that because Kane's not around because he's like the mayor of Knoxville now or something. Um, but Gold, the Goldust thing, here's the biggest thing. Why Goldust's been able to keep relevance is, you know, Dustin Rhodes or Dustin Runnels is a great wrestler. Like he can work a match. He knows how to tell a story. He knows how to work the rain. He's got a good move set. He's got a move set that, he's been able to keep his whole career because it's nothing too crazy, but it's still entertaining. And I can see what you're saying, him going backstage, but that doesn't mean he can't come out for a match every now and again, or, you know, him and or even if Cody's backstage more, you know, triple H still comes out for a match every now and again, Shane is Shane McMahon's in a tag team. So True. being backstage doesn't mean this isn't night. You know, it's not 1964 being backstage. Doesn't mean you can't be a part of the in-ring product. We all know right. this. Yeah. Very true. Well, we'll just have to wait and see now. Uh, there hasn't been any kind of official release. Uh, I'm sorry, official report from WWE about either Revival or Goldust being um, granted their releases from the company as of yet. So we'll keep up with the news on that for the fourth wall fam. But also, this... let's talk about someone else who might be going to AEW that we've been talking about for weeks now. Kenny Omega, the mm -hmm. cleaner. I think at this point he's not going to be showing up in the Rumble because uh, now I found out that his contract ends at the end of January, which will be after Rumble. So while he's still under contract with uh, New Japan, he's not doing anything actively until after his contract is up. Well, I mean, it doesn't mean WWE couldn't send some money to NJPW and say, hey, release him a couple days early. That's, I'm not, that's not the reason why it looks like Kenny Omega's trending away. The reason is, is rumors are he's not taking a deal because AEW, you know, I think it's going to offer him more creative, more creative control of his character, you know, and, and they are offering him enough money. So, you know, I think Kenny Omega coming to WWE is smart for him because I do think he would get to the top of the card and he would get there pretty quick like AJ did. But if you look at AEW, he is unquestionably at the top of the card in AEW. So maybe he runs with that for a couple of years. And maybe when he's, you know, what's Kenny Omega, what, 34? Maybe when he's like 37, 38, then, then he shows up to WWE and does, you know, a five-year run to end his career. Almost like AJ is done. But I don't think the timing has much to do with anything. I think WWE could buy out whatever the clauses for the contract and you know, get Omega in for the Royal Rumble and make it up in merch sales that night. Yeah. Uh, I think, though, that the whole Kenny Omega going to 
potentially going to AEW has been in the talks since even before Wrestle Kingdom. Because from what I understand, too, New Japan was looking to keep that belt on Kenny Omega until, I think, after Dominion later on in the year. And I heard that the whole change of, of that match happened kind of last minute to give the belt to Tanahashi. Um, I think, and of course, that happened right after AEW was announced on New Year's Day. So I feel like AEW has already, already, I'm sorry, always been in talks for Kenny to go over there. Because right. like they said when he was in the Elite, we're all going to do this together. And I think this is just a new opportunity for Kenny. And I do agree. Kenny could always come to WWE down the road. And I do think at some point he will end off his career there. But I think right now is probably the best move for him to go to AEW, start something new, and see where that goes. What's cool about this is seeing like the blood is thicker, thicker than water dynamic really shine through. You know, like we all thought he was going to WWE because that's what makes the most sense in your career. That's the top of the mountain. But he stayed with his boys, man, and he stayed true to his word. And they're going to do this together. And uh, I, if Marty Skrull shows up eventually, we'll see. Yeah, he seems to be a big part of ROH's plan still, but. You know, big up to Kenny if he is going to AEW, and that's the reason why. Like, they made a pact to do this together, and they're sticking to it. From what I understand, Marty Skrull is definitely going to AEW when his contract is up. I believe his contract is up later in May, so he'll still be around in Ring of Honor for a little while, or maybe earlier. I could be wrong on the date. But I do know that even ROH right now is putting a lot of money into Marty Skrull by teaming him up with guys like Brody King and PCO. Right, right. You know, villain, enter, the, villain, villain enterprises. enterprises. Right. right. So I don't know what's going to happen with uh, with Marty, but I definitely think I'm leaning more towards AEW with him once his contract is up. Yeah, well, if ROH has five more months of him, they're going to push the hell out of him in these five months in hopes that he sticks around. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, 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 yeah, you're probably right, though. He shows up in AEW when it's all said and done. They do this together. Now, let's think about some other talent that we have on the independent scene. Who else can you see going over to AEW? Because, like, we only have between now and May 25th till they, till they have um, doubled or nothing. What other superstars are they going to bring over there? Let's talk about are- the women's division first. Okay. Let's start with women first. The only two names that, that stick out to me are Jordan Grace and Tessa Blanchard. Jordan Grace already signed the contract with Impact recently. And Tessa is already in the middle of a two-year contract, I believe, with Impact. So the two of them are not going to get signed to AEW anytime right. soon. That's my question. What are the contract situations for these wrestlers? That's like the first thing you have to look in. I'm, right. I'm not as I'm not as sharp on how long these people are signed for as you are. Um, but you said Tessa Blanchard. That's a name that jumps out to me, you know, right away. <laughs> Um, there are a few WWE names that kind of stick out to me. I could see a maybe Mickey James going to finish up her career at AEW. She's had no problem promotion hopping throughout her career. Right. Um, I could see this is a this is an out there one, but something down the road. You know, once it really gets crowded and they and creative has nothing left for her anymore in WWE, I could see a Natalia. Signing with AEW. See, I don't know if I could see that. I feel like Natty is going to be very true to WWE, and she's going to retire from there. I don't know if I could see her in other promotions. I don't know, man. I think with the money that's going to start getting thrown around, I think you're really going to see 
alliances and, and longtime bonds tested now that wrestlers know they have another option or they might have another option. If this option does come to full fruition, AEW does become a serious competitor in the, in the American pro wrestling landscape. So on that note, is AEW going to be a big competitor in the American wrestling industry? You know, are we going to potentially see the modern day Monday Night Wars? Well, the first issue is I don't think they're going to have a show on Monday. Well, so okay. to be literal, to be Touché. literal, to answer your question, <laughs> no, we are going to see some Tuesday Night Wars. I think for a little bit because AEW's TV deal, I believe, starts in September. And they'll be have a month head to head with SmackDown Live, so that's that's going to be like I guess a little indicator, you know, right away of how popular this might be. Um, you won't you won't see what not a Monday Night Wars, but just a war for like you know ratings and attention. Like there's like I said, I think I said this last week. There's going to be so much content that we're going to have have to pick and choose what we want. We already kind of have to pick and choose what we want to watch, you know, between like, you know, having jobs and whatnot, there's only so much wrestling you can watch in a week, right. you know, or even with you and I like having gigs too, on top of that, you know? So, you know, we could always draw on SmackDown and NXT or the Gibbons for us, you know, but you know, now we have to NXT UK, AEW, if you're into watching NJPW, if you're into watching ROH and Impact, there's a lot of options now. So it's only going to be a war if the content is just out of control good and they're really like roping their target audience in. And I think in terms of accessibility is going to be a big deal with the success of AEW too. Uh, has, been there, has there been any talks about a TV deal for them on any stations? I think I've heard rumblings of TNT and TBS that being a thing again. If that happens and their production quality is up to par with WWE and people can easily access AEW television, uh, Tuesday Night Dynamite, once it once it goes live, I think that's going to help open up a lot of doors, too, to uh, bring in uh, a, hopefully a new demographic of people that weren't exposed to these said wrestlers on the indies before, but now they can go to TNT and watch it. They'll be more interested in watching it because I think at first... They're going to be bringing in a lot of fans. They have a big following right now, but those are the smart marks, the guys who follow, the guys and girls who follow the independent scene, who mm-hmm. watch New mm-hmm. Japan, who have New Japan World, who have um, the Honor Club and watch Ring of Honor TV. Like I've never watched a Ring of Honor show in my life. I read up about them, you know, and that leads me to my next thing. We have the introduction of new media, social media, everything you can you can find about all this stuff on the internet now. How right. many people out there actually watch? Raw and SmackDown live. I don't. I record it and yeah. watch it the next day. You watch yeah, it the next day on Hulu. Right. You know, there's so many more uh, platforms now to to access this content that we don't have to be sitting there live to watch these things right, anymore. Right. I do feel like when we do watch it, we're going to if we do watch it live on for that month that SmackDown and AEW go head to head. If you're watching it live, people are going to be flipping back and forth. People who right. know about AEW, it's going to happen. But I think where I'm going with this is it all depends on the accessibility of the show and the production value. Because if the, if the production value is there, it's going to bring in a new demographic of people. They, it depend, they have to make sure they're targeting the right market, 
Right now, they're gonna get all the smart marks. We're all, we're we're all already on board. Everyone, everyone, the one million and one people who host wrestling podcasts are going to be watching <laughs> AEW. Okay, there's a fucking million and one of us, and we're all gonna be watching AEW because we are fucking. We're all fucking smart marks. Yeah, but absolutely. the casual, the, the casual fans who don't, who might know of Cody Rhodes because he worked for Vince McMahon at one time, you know, don't know who Kenny Omega is, don't know who the Bucks are, probably haven't heard of AEW yet unless they read about it online. So accessibility, production value is going to be a big to do with the success of AEW. So to touch on a couple points you made there, uh, for TV networks, I also heard WGN. Uh, WGN, TBS, or TNT, those are all three nationwide networks available. And those are all and just, great uh, networks. Yeah. Could you imagine and if, they're they, gonna if get, they go back to Turner Network Television? I, I I feel like WGN is more likely than the Turner Network than the Turner Networks. I feel like WGN is more set up to have a like something like wrestling programming, whereas TNT and TBS well, I guess they have sports too, because TBS does baseball and TNT does 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 basketball still, and and soccer now actually. TNT does do soccer, so maybe they will be in the map market for it. But WGN's the name I hear coming up more. That's just as good. Um, you'll be, able, I'm sure they'll have a Hulu deal where you can watch on Hulu the next day. I think all the accessibility that WWE has, AEW will have, minus like their own network because they just don't have enough content for that right now. They might have like they'll they'll probably do their their big shows on Fight TV to start until they just you know until they have enough content to you know make a network sellable you know even right. marketable right so there's that and when it comes to production I guess I guess they're going to start their show and I don't know much about this yet maybe you can correct me if you've heard anything I'm assuming it's going to be like NXT at first where they have a studio. And everything's done out of a studio, and there's going to be some NXT-like production, maybe a step up from NXT. But when it comes to doing like shows at arenas and live shows, you know, which hopefully they will, they'll that'll be a quick transition. I think if they want to compete with WWE, they're going to have to be live shows at some point. You know, if they're not right away, I guess we'll find out more about that down the road. But live shows, you don't need to have a TV taping in like huge arenas. Like if you watch most WWE TV tapings, they don't sell out. The arenas are usually too big for the taping. Like they should be holding TV tapings in 10,000 seat arenas, which is what AEW is going to target once they get to that space. And the production is going to be there. So it's going to fit the venue. Production has to fit the venue. Like the NXT production works because the venues are smaller. That production works. That might look a little silly. That production in a big in a hockey arena, it would have to be scaled up a little more. Now, I think WWE is overproduced. I think they could scale Raw and SmackDown back a bit and kind of take us back to what the sets were like in the Attitude Era. And that's what I really hope AEW does once they're like up and running. If they get up and running in a way that you know, at the very least, WCW did in the late '80s and early '90s. AEW is going to get up and running because they are backed by the cons bankroll right now. So right. as long as that AT, the con ATM is working similar to what we saw with Ted Turner and Bischoff it is, if long as the finances are there to start this off, then we're going to see some big things, you know? Uh, and we mentioned when we first announced that AEW uh, was coming out prior to the rally, that they're offering multi-year contracts. They're expecting to be around for at least uh, a minimum of at least five years. 
and I think they will be around for that long. I don't I don't think the promotion's going to go away. It's just how big is the promotion going to get? You know, and you're talking about how are they going to attract, you know, oh WWE, yeah, they attract internet fans like us, and smart fans like us, but they also attract the family of four from, you know, suburban Connecticut. You know, they also attract, you know, 8-year-old kids and they attract 60-year-old men. They can attract a more mainstream audience. But the reason they've always been able to get that mainstream audience, they've been able to afford to bring in mainstream celebrities and mainstream attention to their event. Will AEW go right to that formula, or will they try to build their foundation first with solid wrestling, build their foundation with their core audience that can pack you know, 10 to 15,000 seat arenas for, for major cards? I think that's the smart way you do it. You establish yourself there first and then start picking the wise spots. As you start growing, you'll start seeing where you can put your attention towards the mainstream, what makes sense, and what mainstream outlets are enjoying what you're doing. That's what they have to observe and analyze before. They should just jump right into that game. You have to let that game grow and come to you a little bit. Well, Doc, we just got to sit back now and wait and see what happens with AEW, but I am ready for the ride. Absolutely. All right, fam, we're going to talk some WWE when we come right back. Do you like wrestling? Do you like podcasts? Well, have I got some good news for you. What's going on, everybody? It's Will Tarashuk, main host and founder of the Kings of the Rings podcast. And every week, we bring you the banter, the silliness, the good, the bad, and the ugly from professional wrestling. From audio content to video content to our Patreon to our ever-growing community, you can be the brand and join the kingdom. Yes, Slack, even you too. So, Doc, when you watched Raw and SmackDown this week, didn't you have like an attitude era, ruthless aggression era feel to it? Well, um, I, I, since we started doing podcasts, even like when we were doing our pilot podcasts to work out our kinks before we actually started delivering the kayfabe to you all, um, I just said, I just kept saying, I've recently been noticing more risque content. The language has been, the, uh, the language, the cussing's been loosening up a little bit. The, the extreme matches have been not like the attitude era but a a little more extreme again like you're starting to see the reins loosen and i think we've been building to what we saw this past week on attitude i'm sorry on attitude i'm an idiot on raw and smackdown which like you said is a sort of return to attitude ruthless aggression era you don't have to tell me that this is awesome because those are my that's my prime time of wrestling that's where i thought wrestling was the most entertaining um, because you, you, it was good TV plus good sport, and that's what makes wrestling great. Um, John Cena even name dropped ruthless aggression this week, just to make sure to, just to make sure like the audience that was thinking this, it was confirmed their head. Like okay, like this is a change in programming we're about to strap in for, and we might have to you know, make sure this is suitable for our children again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm okay with. I'm a grown ass. I was okay when I was a kid, and I'm definitely okay as a grown ass man with it. Right. <laughs> I yeah. think it won't be as um, sexually provocative as 
it used to be. I think what you saw this week is going to be about as sexually provocative as it gets. There's going to be no more live sex with Edge and, and Lita and, Lita, and shit right. like that. Yeah. Like, you're yeah. never going to see that again. You're never well, going to see... You're never going to see Trish Stratus bark like a dog for Vince McMahon again. You're never going to see that again. But you're going to see, you know, you're going to see some more skin. Yeah, I think what we saw this week might be the extent of it. You know, they had the segment with Alexa Bliss on Raw, which social media blew up after that. That was the WTF moment from Raw. Like, wait, what the fuck did I just see? Hold on. I need to, I need to pause it and rewind it and go back and watch that. Um, a bunch of wrestling fans in their 20s kept yeah. rewinding their raw <laughs> over and over again. A bunch of DVRs are probably broken the next day. I'm sure Comcast right. was busy. <laughs> uh, and then the next night on SmackDown, uh, they're continuing the development of the story between Naomi and Mandy Rose. Uh, I really like this character development of Mandy Rose right now, and I do like how she's pursuing the storyline with Naomi and uh, Jimmy Uso. Uh, so that whole thing with the hotel room and the photographer was great. Uh, I think it was all done really well. I did have a little complaint about that segment. I wish uh, Uso could have said a little bit more on the microphone when he was in. I'm sorry, when he was in the room. I wish he would have had a little more emotion behind him. But I think the whole segment itself was done really, really well. Yeah, I don't mind him not having the emotions. Like when I think of how how um, Jimmy Uso would handle that conversation. Like, I think he'd be very cool and calm and collected. And I think he was like, he outsmarted her. So he had to go in there smarter than her, not coming in like a hurricane, not coming all angry, just knowing that, hey, I think, I think this crazy bitch is setting us up. You know, we got to freaking be smart about this. And that's exactly how he played it off. So that's why I enjoyed it. It seemed very real to me. Like if, if, if some like, Woman was continually doing that to me. That's how I would try to handle my wife, except she would just probably like, she would probably shoot her, which yeah, that takes care of the problem too. <laughs> Another question that was. But I, I, did, it, sorry, I did enjoy Dr. it. I thought it was, I thought it was, and I, it was nice. I, I, I will let you, I didn't mean to cut you off. I do want to say I like that there's a mid card feud with the women that doesn't involve a title. Like, I feel like the women's division has been missing these. So it's nice to see a real one that I, I'm I'm invested in. Like I want to see how this pans out. I want to see Naomi whoop her ass. And on top of that, we could take that mid card feud can also turn into a Mandy and Sonya thing because, as you can see on SmackDown, Sonya was none too pleased with Mandy's actions towards the uh, towards the uh, Usos, the the, Us- the married Usos. That is. Right. They've been kind of teasing the whole Sonya and Mandy breakup for a little while since before Survivor Series. But I feel like this is almost this is like Sasha and Bailey light where we're friends, but we're going to kind of have some friction. We're still going to stay friends and then I'm going to not like what you do. We're still going to be friends. Yeah, but Mandy's doing like wicked shit like Bailey and Sasha weren't trying to break up marriages like this is way okay, different. <laughs> like I would be like if one of my like friends came up to me and told me like, "Hey man, I don't like that asshole. I'm going to go break up his marriage." I'd be like, "Dude, that's the douchiest thing I've ever heard in my life. I don't care if you're my best friend." Like, I would want to slap that person in the face for being such an asshole. But again, this is the reason why this feud is working right now. Not only is it giving us a mid-card feud, it's setting up another mid-card feud for down the line, and hopefully it'll give us a women's mid-card title. Because that's something that's going to be needed soon. If we're going to start developing mid-card feuds like this, we're going to need a mid-card title. Maybe, that, since there's only one women's tag title, you keep one of those 
won on tag title on Raw and SmackDown. Just wait. All right. Since since you opened up Pandora's box, now we're gonna have to oh, get right really? into this topic. All right, let's talk about the women's division real quick. So they announced finally on Raw. I'm sorry, they debuted the women's tag team championships during the Moment of Bliss segment with Alexa Bliss, Paul Heyman, and guest starring Otis the Dozer Dozovich. <laughs> Um, anyway, so they announced the women's. Hero, man. I love that guy. Right, that was the that was a great I segment. Hero. Um, <laughs> so they debuted the championships. First of all, those fucking belts look awesome. They are uh, those really belts nice look awesome, but they only have one set of tag team championships, and I don't think those belts are going to be exclusive to either of the two bland, uh, two brands, and it's going to switch back and forth between brands. Which I think is going to lead me to my next thought. You talk about bringing in a mid-card title. Perfect. Bring in a mid-card title. One mid-card title to cross between both brands. But we already have two championships. Hold on, Doc. Let me get to that right now. So, Doc, you've been talking about having a triple threat match at WrestleMania, right? Uh, Charlotte uh, versus Becky versus Ronda. You know where this is going? I don't think you do. Let me tell you where this is going. So... (laughs) What's going to happen is Becky is going to beat Asuka for the SmackDown Championship and hold it for the third time. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. The man is going to go into WrestleMania as the SmackDown Women's Champion. Ronda is going to retain the Raw Women's Championship and go into Mania as the Raw Women's Champion. <clears throat> because Creative already opened up this box with... Um, adding Charlotte into the mix, they'd be stupid at this point to not do the triple threat match. Make it a triple threat match. Uh, Charlotte wins the Rumble, and she Boom. wants to challenge both Ronda and Becky. Um, yeah, they do some crazy shit, but if you did all this, and I can see this, this is all awesome fantasy booking, but this would have to lead to the women having their own show, which I think is the end goal. I think by the... By 2020, the women need to have their own one-hour show, and that's the way to get all the talent on screen. That'll open up holes for the men that are not getting enough screen time, and it'll give the women even more screen time. It's just yeah. a matter of – the thing is you're going to have to make it like 205. It has to be like taped at a Raw or SmackDown. Um, it would make TV tapings a lot more like appealing. Like One of the reasons I don't go to TV tapings a lot is I think they're too expensive. Yeah. But if I feel like I'm getting two really good shows, maybe I'll pay $100 to go to that TV taping. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's, that's what that was going to lead to because now you have a triple threat match at WrestleMania with both women's titles tied up into one match. Make that a unification match, and then the man wins, and the man becomes the women's champion. And maybe down the road, maybe uh, in the summer or the spring of this year, they, they start a women's uh, division. Right. Which, that was in the talks back when they did the first May Young Classic, too, about will there be a women's division. And I've said it for a long time. I think the overall uh, roster is way too stacked. That's why people that we want to see on TV more don't get enough airtime. Right. People that should have titles don't get titles because there's not enough airtime to develop their character. Now's your chance to let the women shine elsewhere, give them their own show, have one title that crosses both brands, still have them on Raw and SmackDown. You still want to have their presence on those shows, especially when you go to SmackDown. And you're going to want to see people like Ronda Rousey and Charlotte Flair on SmackDown on Fox. 
All right. That's that's where it's going to get tricky. I think you can have like a lit, like a, maybe like one women's segment a night on the major shows, and you, you and you don't even do it like every like show. Do it on the major Raws and Smackdowns if you're going to do that, because you know if you're going to take the women and give them their own show, give the, the men also that we talk about like not not getting enough airtime, not getting enough time to develop. Give them their chance too. You can't just – and it's going to be overkill then I think too. You can't have too much of the crossover. A little bit of the crossover, not too much of the crossover. Well, what do you think is going to happen when SmackDown moves to Fox? There's been a lot of talks about is the brand split going to end. I don't think it's going to end. I think that's a terrible idea. I think the roster is way too stacked and more superstars that we want to see on TV more are going to have even less time on television. It's, that's going to – I mean, first of all, remember that guy Mojo Raleigh? Right. No way, Jose. Again, decent, good talents. Uh, I'll call them – they're all good hands. You're right. They're all right. good hands in the ring. But they're never on TV. We could be using them in meaningful matches if we had enough airtime. I think right. in terms of titles, once the – uh, once it goes to Fox, I think we have one champion, one women's champion. We could have two tag team champions on both brands. We could have a mid-card title on each brand, and we have one cruiserweight champion. And they just mix up the two shows with the champion, women's champion, cruiserweight champion, right? And it'll give more people a chance to focus on the one belt. And I think we'll see a lot more people in the main event scene on the two brands. So, yeah. Okay. So what you're saying is have just one world title for each brand. And that's your big difference. I do agree there should only be one world title. Um, If you got rid of a brand, if you got rid of the brand split, you would kind of have to do like NJPW does and have like, you know, 7,000 championships, Right. you know, to keep <laughs> to keep everything sort of interesting. Um, you're getting towards that right now anyway. You know, I mean, what is how many titles are on the main roster now? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight, nine, nine, nine. I think, yeah. Universal think WWE, Raw and SmackDown tag, Raw and SmackDown women's. We have the Cruiserweight. We have the Intercontinental, the mid-card. That's not, um, I'm sorry, the U.S. That's United nine. States and the women's tag. And now we have the women's that's 10. Okay. So, and, and then they're yeah, going to bring back the European title, and they're going to give that to uh, the lower <laughs> big card, and the TV title is going to come back. Internet title is going to go to Zack Ryder. Um, I would love to see a TV title come back. I missed a TV title. And then Curtis Axel is going to be the million-dollar champion. Or we're going to need an Australian champion yeah, with all those Australian champions. Australian Italian at some point. <laughs> all right, so anyway, so let's go back to the Women's Tag Team Championships. So... It was noted this week by Alexa Bliss that it's going to be determined who's going to be the champion in an Elimination Chamber match at Elimination Chamber. It'll be three teams from Raw, three teams from SmackDown. Who are the six teams going to be? Now, on Raw, we already have the Riot Squad. We already have the Wild Samoans, Afa and Sika. I'm sorry, I mean Naya and Tamina. (laughs) SmackDown, we have the Iconics. Okay. But who else do we have? What other tag teams are there? You can do Bliss and Mickey James, maybe, or Bliss and Foxy. 
if Bliss is healthy. I can't see Bliss in the tag division. I could see maybe Mickey and Foxy just to have two veterans in there included in the match. That would make sense. Uh, Maybe there was rumors about Natty and Beth Phoenix potentially uh, being a tag team to face for the tag titles. You could put Trish and Lita in the match just because why the hell not? Yeah, why not? You could bring the Bellas back. Right, and you want to be, maybe they'll make a re- return for this. I think they're going to make this as big as they possibly can. This match, right? Um, you could, if they're still a team, you'll have uh, Mandy and Sonya if they're still together at that point. You know what? I th- I think that would be the other team from SmackDown that would definitely be going to Elimination Chamber. It's too soon to break another team like that up because they're already essentially breaking up the Boston Hug connection. The ones who we thought were going to be the inaugural women's tag champs, but now Sasha's going right. in the title picture. Sasha was already pulled out of the Royal Rumble match because she's right. obviously in the title, the title match now at Rumble. Uh, so I don't think we're going to see Boston Hug connection. I think this is going to be the end of the Bailey Sasha thing, and they're just going to go their separate ways. And Sasha's going to go for the title. Right. But uh, I think this is going to be an opportunity to maybe even open up the women's tag titles to women in NXT. Because you could see teams of people like Io Shirai and Kairi Sane, Jessamine Duke and Marina Shafir. Um, you potentially could team up Dakota Kai and Candice LeRae. You have a ton of women's talent on in developmental that you could use to bring up here to be to. Uh, Put in the elimination chamber match to face for these new tag champs, tag titles. Uh, I don't know if you do that because you know you're you're making these tag titles. You're announcing we have enough talent to have tag champions, but then our very first match we have people not technically on our roster because we don't have enough talent. People from three brands. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, but again, but looks I, bad. I'm interested to see now who they're going to team up and what tag teams they're going to create uh, between now and elimination chamber. Right. So, Doc, let's talk about now the introduction of the NXT call-ups that we got to see this week. Uh, It was announced that we're going to see all these new NXT call-ups on both brands for the upcoming weeks until it is decided which brand they will officially be on. So we got to see the likes of EC3, Nikki Cross, Lacey Evans, and Heavy Machinery on both Raw and SmackDown. First of all, how fucking hysterical is Otis Dozovic? (laughs) Yeah, Heavy Machinery hilarious. is going to be such a great addition to the main roster. They're going to bring such much, much needed humor on top of what like we get from the New Day and everything. Uh, it's going to be great for the main roster. They're going to be a good spark. They, if they could be a good spark to the Raw Tag Division, yeah, they would just spark that the division around, needs. They joke around like the New Day, but they fucking mean business when they're in the ring, and they're fucking oh, yeah. great wrestlers. So I see Heavy Machinery going really far. Mm-hmm. Me too. And it's good timing, too, especially if the Revival did, you know, they do answer their release and they're, and they're gone. They, we have an opening now on Raw. Right. Um, you know, who was uh, inconspicuous by their, by their absence was Lars Sullivan. Now, Johnny Smarks, our third man, did report last week that uh, Lars was scheduled to do a couple dark matches before Raw and SmackDown last week and didn't show up. And rumor had it that he hopped on a plane on uh, during SmackDown and went home. And uh, he was obviously not shown on TV this week. There were no vignettes like they were having for him. So I'm really wondering what's going to be happening with Lars Sullivan. Um, you know, obviously all the reports are saying this is anxiety fueled, and you know, it's it's a real shame. You don't want to see anybody's career derailed because of that. You know. Um, this is a this is a tough career to do with anxiety, I would think. Yeah. 
you know, performing in front of lots of people and having to be in tip top shape all the time and all the responsibility and, you know, having to manage all your own finances on top of that because you're an independent contractor. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough life. I could see how that might be hard for somebody who has an anxiety disorder of some sorts. You know, not saying I don't want him to succeed. I obviously want him to succeed, but it just seems like it's going to be a hard battle for him. And if he does make it, man, he he's gonna. I think he's gonna have some fans. He's gonna have a lot of people in his corner. Yeah. I think so, especially now with this unfortunate incident. But I do hope that we see something with Lars Sullivan. I would expect if if we don't see him on TV, but he's still going to be coming up, we'll probably see him in the Rumble, I think. He'll make an appearance at the Rumble. Might be a nice way to break him in in the Rumble match where he can kind of come in, get comfortable, get his feet wet a little bit. But this seems like a tough industry to have that attitude. Like, you kind of got to come in like a Hellcat in the wrestling industry. And I feel like, you know, this is, it's, he's kind of unfortunately had to take a step back here and hopefully he can recover for it. You know, that's all I can really hope with Lars. Yeah. Be a great addition to Raw. Yeah, everyone here at the fourth wall definitely wishes Lars the the best. And we do hope to see you uh, up and at him really soon. Uh, But let's talk real quick about uh, the introduction now of Nikki Cross. She got to have a match on Raw. She teamed up with Bailey and Natty as they faced the Riot Squad. Uh, It was a fun match. It was a good match. Of course, the baby faces won, Natty, Bailey, and Nikki Cross. Nikki did awesome in the match. You know, it's unfortunate because we watch NXT, so we know uh, Heavy Machinery. We know Nikki Cross before they made it to the main roster. Watching right. them come out, I'm popping. I'm sitting at home and I'm popping for, for the, them to come out and be be in the ring or just have a, a backstage segment. And I listen to the the audience's reaction. It's like, yeah, ninety percent of those people don't know who these wrestlers are, and it's really unfortunate that they don't watch NXT too. You know, this is, you have to introduce NXT wrestlers in the right crowd. This is a prove. This is proving that point right there. Yeah. You have to do it around a pay per view when all the smart fans are out. One of the big pay per views. You know, the night after. Or, or maybe at the go home leading up to it, or I don't know. Like having introducing characters like this in the in the middle of you know in the middle of that period, be, the dead period between Survivor Series and the Royal Rumble, basically. Mm-hmm. And just think it, it hurts the characters, you know. Unless you're bringing up like one of the really big guys, like a Gargano or a Champa, most people or Champa, most people don't know. You know, they don't know. Who these, like you said, they don't know who these people are. So it's a shame. You heard some NXT chance during Dozovich's segment on yes, uh, Moment did. of Bliss. Mm-hmm. But it's just not enough, like, you know, there's not enough smarks there. You got to introduce NXT talent when smarks are there. And, you know, it'll go much, it'll probably go much smoother for him. Yeah. Or so we would think. All of it depends on booking, man. It all depends on booking and, and what they do with the talent. You know, like Nikki Cross, she's with the baby faces, but. You know, I'd, I'd rather see her, you know, back with sanity and doing the heel thing, you know? I, I agree, yeah. I, I don't want to see her mixed mixed in with the likes of Bailey and Natty on Raw. No. She needs to be in the with sanity as a heel, as the twisted sister of SmackDown. She could do some amazing things over on that brand. She she could lead the stable. Her mm-hmm. and EY could be like the co-leaders of the stable. Or, you know, and, and that gets them some TV time finally. Yeah. Even if you're getting that TV time through the women's division, you're still getting the TV time. Mm-hmm. That's what matters. Yeah. And then, you know, her TV time will lead to TV time for EY and, and TV time for uh, for Wolf and, uh, oh, crap, Killian, Killian Dane. Dane. Yeah. Yeah. 
You know, what I really want to see out of that group is I want to see Nikki going for the women's title. I want to see Eric Young going for a singles title, whether it be the championship or the IC title. I'm sorry, U.S. title. And I want to see Killian Dane and Alexander Wolf in the tag team picture. You know, I think that's that's your perfect stable right there. Right. And, you know, I could see Nikki Cross. I think I have her as of right now fantasy book to win the uh, women's battle royal at WrestleMania. Yes, you do. Yes, I <laughs> yes, you believe do. I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> perfect perfect person to, to i think she's gonna have i think once people get to know that character it's gonna be over right yeah so th- there we got to see some other stars that have been getting a lot of tv time over the past few weeks and those are the likes of andrade and that's it just andrade now <laughs> um ray mysterio jr actually i'm sorry ray mysterio he's not no longer junior anymore so just ray mysterio stupid. samoa so joe i'm surprised he isn't just joe yet <laughs> and then Mustafa Ali. Now, these are four uh, perfect, perfect superstars to be uh, sitting in the mid card. I love how all right, the four of these superstars on TV every week is how you build a mid card. You don't need to right. see the mid card title on TV every single week. You have to talk about it, have backstage vignettes with the mid card champion and whatever current feud they're in. But this is how you grow your mid card scene. You put them in blood feuds like this each and every week. You team them up. You have a mixed match and fight each other's um, mm-hmm. each other's opponents. Have them all come to a head of pay per views. But this is how you do it. So Samoa Joe, Mustafa. Ali, Rey Mysterio, and Andrade are big contenders for the mid-card scene going into WrestleMania, and then potentially a championship push going probably into SummerSlam. Yeah, I mean, Andrade and Rey are natural partners. I think we've all forecasted this to come. Here you go to uh, to um, um, wrestlers with Mexican heritage. They work great with each other in the ring. Can we talk about how Rey Mysterio has just pretty much completely like reinvented his moveset for like his offense his is so ridiculous now. <laughs> ah, it's it, and I remember like I was so bored with him at the end of his last WWE run. Mm-hmm. It's just like it's like a new man. It's awesome, great yeah. to see. And, you know, you'd expect nothing less out of one of the all-time greats. But anyway, Andrade trying the the, you know, the 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 young Bronco, the young Mustang trying to challenge the old horse and and Rey Mysterio, and you know, get the, it could be a possible quote-unquote torch passing moment. And then here you go. You got Samoa Joe, Mustafa Ali. Mustafa Ali coming in like a Hellcat, coming in on fire, winning matches, you know, pinning champions, doing all these great things. And who's being forgot about? Samoa Joe, maybe the most overlooked, forgotten, angriest, most badass heel on the roster. So who does Samoa Joe go after? The new guy that's taking his spot. It makes perfect sense. Joe came out. He came out ruthless. He came out evil. He came out looking to destroy this kid, and this is going to be a great feud to watch develop. I almost think, you know, after watching that, Samoa Joe's got to be a wild card to win the Rumble. I know we're assuming it's going to one of the Raw guys, but right. there's a if there if this is something they could give to him right now, you know, to maybe keep him happy. He hasn't had any title runs, not even a mid card title run, right? I don't believe he's won no, a mid card title, any right? Titles in the main, on the main roster. And he's a guy who could go in main event in AEW. So maybe you give him the Rumble to like, hey, man, you're going to win the Rumble and you're going to get a freaking title match at Mania, man. Yeah. Like, I, I definitely think yeah. we could see someone like Joe win the Rumble because we don't have to see someone on Raw win it. Like we kept saying, it might be Seth Rollins, might be Drew McIntyre. But let's uh, quickly switch over now to the Raw side. Uh, Braun Strowman's out of the Universal Championship picture. You know, 
because he pissed off Vince McMahon and tipped over his limousine. Actually, <laughs> no. Um, for your kayfabe consumption, we're actually going to tell you the, the real truth. It's because he isn't uh, fully cleared yet to wrestle because of his, from his injury that he suffered. When did he suffer that injury? Back in December? Was it early December, late November? It was, when was the TLC, Matt? It TLC, was December, right? Yeah. So it was December, so it was a couple weeks before, before TLC. TLC. Yeah, so Braun isn't cleared yet to and wrestle. So, November, yeah. So um, Vince had to kayfabe, fine him $100,000, and pull him from the Universal Championship match, which then led to a series of uh, promos and backstage stuff, stuff in, in the ring with guys like Baron Corbin, Finn Balor, um, John Cena, and Drew McIntyre. I thought some of those segments were awesome. And mm-hmm. can we just say John Cena's fucking great on the mic? Like, He's awesome. Well, when John when John Cena isn't being the glad, happy bitch ass company man, mm-hmm. he's awesome. He's awesome. The John Cena we don't like PG John Cena. No, I don't man. think we like. I don't think we like PG any wrestler really. No, no. <laughs> no. when they let Cena shoot, uh, he he's phenomenal on the he's mic. An animal. And yeah, he's, he's, he's an animal. There's a reason he's transitioned to Hollywood's. You know, right. so well, he knows what he's doing. Yeah, so, so we ended up having a fatal four-way match to main event Monday Night Raw between McIntyre, Cena, Corbin, and Balor. Balor ended up coming out victorious, which, uh, I don't know, I felt very confident going into that match that he was going to win. Uh, the fact that he had to fight Jinder Mahal beforehand was just pointless. They could have filled that spot with another two wrestlers that we might not see on Raw every single week, but that's besides the point. But uh, I'm very happy that Balor won, and if Balor does not come out as the demon at the Rumble, then we know Brock's fucking winning. But if Balor comes out as the demon, there's no way in hell Brock Lesnar is going to defeat the demon. Who wins in a real fight, Finn Balor or Brock Lesnar? Brock Lesnar. Do you think Brock could catch Finn Balor? Do you think Finn could, like, elude Brock and, like, just, like, continually kick him from, like, being too fast i like finn finn's not a weak dude man finn's pretty no. strong finn, finn has some superhuman uh speed that's for sure they were talking about that a lot on raw, on raw this week yeah but finn's again, fucking jack too yeah. he's fucking jacked man like i know he's not like huge monster but there is not an ounce of fat on that dude no. i don't I, I know does he have any like martial arts background at all finn do you know no, for a know, it, it's all wrestling all wrestling. Yeah. It, that means they probably can't get Brock Lesnar's ass mm-hmm. in a fight, which sucks. <laughs> um, I, I was happy to see Finn win. I did not expect Finn to win. I thought Cena was going to fucking win. I'm so so did I. So conditioned. I'm so conditioned to yep. Cena always winning in this situation, and you know they give Cena his 17th title reign to, you know he beats Brock, and it's just like really this is this is the new WWE. But kudos to WWE. You know they 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 they, they did shake it up because Cena didn't win. Right. And Finn, if there's anybody that deserves this match in this in this situation between those four guys, it's Finn. Drew's time's gonna come sometime later in 20, 2019. We all know that. Um, I would it would be a shocker to see Finn beat Brock, but I don't think it's out of the question, man. I really don't, especially if Brock's gonna go uh, go fight UFC again. It's not out right. of the question. You know, and if Finn comes out as the demon, you know, and then he builds his reputation as a giant killer and everything, you know, it's it's completely possible. He could outsmart Brock and win this match. 
Uh, hands down, he definitely can. Um, and I think that's where this is going to go. I think I don't think Brock's going to leave Rumble as Universal Champion. Finn's going to leave with the title, and we're going to see some big changes in the main event scene on Raw between Fastlane and Elimination Chamber. You, uh, uh, they're doing this Rumble in a baseball stadium. The baseball stadium holds it's, it's Chase Field, home to Diamondbacks. It holds, I believe, about forty-eight thousand for baseball games. So you got to think there's going to be about, I'd say they're going to say it's going to be between fifty and sixty thousands, which WWE is probably going to announce. You know, even if that's a fake number, that's what they're going to announce. So there's going to be a lot of people there, and they're going to want a huge pop at some point in that night. Finn Balor is over with the internet crowd. He's over with the mainstream crowd. He's, I mean, he's over everywhere. You heard that pop he got at TakeOver? Yep. Oh, yep. my God. I, I thought I was going to go deaf sitting here watching it on TV. His guy's over everywhere. And the way they've been utilizing lately, you know, getting wins over McIntyre, having him cross-promote, it means there's big – having him interact with Vince McMahon like that, yeah. calling Vince out, you know, saying the things that we all know. You know, that means – that means there's big things planned for you. And what bigger way to start like the era of Finn than beating Brock and then right. getting a huge pop with 50,000 people, making a classic Royal Rumble moment. I mean, it just, it just, the story writes itself. Just hopefully WWE writes it for us too. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, we're going to give our predictions on next week's show for the Royal Rumble, but uh, let's also see what happens now this coming week on Raw. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because uh, who knows? It could be some more curveballs. It could become a fucking fatal four-way match at Royal Rumble, for all we know. I would love to see, like, Finn have to maybe defend, you know, defend his number one contendership in the next few weeks. Mm-hmm. You, know, have, you know, Vince comes like, you know, Vince, he starts like a feud with Vince almost. They kind of laid the seeds for it when he called Vince out. Maybe Vince yeah. comes out and next like, you have to face, you know, a debuting Lars Sullivan tonight. You have to face uh, Baron Corbin and Drew McIntyre in a handicap match tonight. Right. But Finn always keeps like, winning. Yeah, or have him run a gauntlet with like six right, or stars or something. Yeah. Oh, that'd be they, so cool. They can make this really interesting. I just hope that Brock Lesnar is not going to be on Raw next week because I don't want to see another Brock Lesnar promo. Um, I, I would rather them develop the Finn Balor character and get him prepared for this match and have to fo- put the focus on Heyman and or Brock Lesnar if they show up on Raw next week. I'd like to see Finn and Heyman go at it, you know, some more. That's what I would like to mm-hmm. see. I, I'd like to see them two, like, start digging in on each other. Right. But they I, they have to do some sort of face-to-face with Brock. It'll probably be next week's to go home, right? Yes. Yeah, next week's yeah. the last Raw and SmackDown before Rumble. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So there's, I, I'm sitting in my head. I'm thinking there's two weeks left. There's only one week. So next week, you put him in a match. So he, he might lose his number one contenders, like a gauntlet. And then when it's over, Brock comes out, and they just have a segment right there. And that's all you need to do. Yeah. All you need to do. You'll get, Finn will be over. Finn's going to walk out to a huge pop. He better walk out to a huge pop. Phoenix can kiss my ass. <laughs> now, you know who, whose name we're not mentioning in this in this same sentence? Uh, Seth Rollins, he was, I think a lot of us thought he was going to be the one to win the Rumble. He's going to be the one to beat Brock Lesnar. I don't know if he's still going to be in the cards to be the one to defeat Brock Lesnar. I could see it being Finn right now, but then I could see a uh, Seth Rollins-Finn Balor rematch at WrestleMania. Yeah, that's a possibility. That That's that's a real, legit possibility. Yeah. 
but I, do you think they're going to hold off on Drew to like later in the year? I don't think it's going to be Drew's time now. I do think he's going to get an opportunity to fight for the title between uh, between Fastlane and Mania. I could see Raw having the Elimination Chamber match because I could see SmackDown winning the Rumble. So the Elimination Chamber match goes to Raw uh, for, right. the, for the title, for the number one contender to face Finn at Mania or something like that. So I could definitely see right. some, something come to a head at Elimination Chamber, and then maybe after Mania, Drew will have his time. I could see Drew main eventing SummerSlam and having his moment. Right, right. Okay, fair enough. So, but now on the Seth Rollins thing, what happens with the Intercontinental Championship? Because now Bobby fucking Lashley is our Intercontinental Champion. I, I wish uh, just, Smarky yeah, was here to give us his, his talking about Lashley. Impression. Talking about Lashley is not the same with Smarky's fantastic Leo Russian impression. Yeah. He nails that one. So Smarky, if you're uh, listening, we we miss you, good brother. I I don't I don't care that Lashley's the Intercontinental Champion. I've actually enjoyed Lashley and Rush's work the past few weeks. I think I think Rush's Leo's really settled into his. Uh, his role with Bobby Lashley as the hype man. I think he's quickly discovered what works and what doesn't work. Right. And he's quickly discovered, you know, how to get his boy, his boy over. And he's over as a heel. No one's happy that he's won. And that's the way it should be when you're a heel and you win titles. You're not supposed to be freaking happy when Bobby Lashley wins the title. Right. You know, he's not getting, he's not getting X-Pac heat or anything. Right. So I'm not too worried about it. Um, I, I'm okay with it. I don't think Ambrose and Rollins need the title to be a part of their feud. I do think Ambrose and Rollins are going to have at least one more pay-per-view match before mania, or at least like a really big, like big fight feel raw match. Mm -hmm. They don't need the title for it. And that are just, it's a blood feud, you know? And, Maybe they can have the same sort of blood feud success that Joe and Ali. Maybe, maybe you know how the Daniel Bryan AJ feud has kind of gotten like a second life recently on SmackDown. Right. As like the cap, they've been allowed to loosen the reins a bit. Maybe we'll see that with Dean and Seth. Seth's definitely teased loosening the reins a bit, but you know his in-ring result the other night, not winning the Intercontinental Title, kind of you know, put a da- uh, a sour on that you know promo he had with Triple H a few weeks ago. So but maybe, you know, Seth's time is to, to kind of reinvent themselves. It's going to be him and Dean just going at it, blood feud. We've been fighting each other since we showed up in FCW. These right. two have been fighting each other. So maybe this is maybe that's what culminates at WrestleMania. And maybe it is Drew and and a Finn Balor for the title. Drew and Balor at Mania, maybe Drew and Brock. You know, if it does go the other way and Brock does retain, who knows? But yeah, I, I can see that too. It's unfortunate because I really want to see Seth in the title picture at Mania. But I mean, I don't think anyone's going to be upset if if he faces uh, Dean Ambrose in a one on one stipulation kind of match, and they just bring the whole feud to a head. Like after Mania, it's over. I still I want to see Dean Ambrose left in the swamps of Jersey. That's uh, if they had a Mania <laughs> match, I want to see them fighting in the parking lot. Smashing planted cars, <laughs> and then the match ends, and Seth just dumps Dean in the marshes, and then we go party with Dean afterwards. That's perfect. <laughs> That's a perfect ending. So anyway, we need to get ready to finish off the rest of the show. So we're going to head over to our hashtag Be Involved segment after these words. 
What's up, everybody? This is Resident Universal Royalty King Ricky Rose of the Kings of the Rings podcast, and you are listening to Wrestle Addict Radio. Okay, fam, this is our segment called Hashtag Be Involved. This is the segment where we encourage everyone in the Fourth Wall fam to be involved in our shows each and every week. Let us know what's on your mind. Let us know how you like the show. Let us know how much you can't stand Doc's voice. Let us know what you like about wrestling, what you don't like about wrestling, what you want us to talk about. Uh, just tweet at us using the hashtag Be Involved or email us at fourthwallcast at gmail.com. Or you could slide into our DMs as well. So we actually had a member of the Fourth Wall fam slide into our DMs. Who doesn't like my voice? There might be a a small handful of fans that, you know, just don't like the sound of Doc's voice. Eh, fuck you people. (laughs) You're getting that heat again, Doc. Sorry. So anyway, a member of our Fourth Wall fam slid into our DMs yesterday. Um, Message reads, what up, fam? Loyal listener here, and also Bones's little brother. Yes, this letter is from my brother, Ray, who is uh, currently stationed uh, with the Navy out in Naples, Italy. Bro, thank you for your service. My brother just got married uh, last month. Congratulations to my brother and my new sister-in-law, Alyssa. So my brother's message reads, I had a question uh, for you guys. In your opinion... All these different eras, the Hulk era, Attitude era, the PG era, etc., what defines them? You know, is it because of a character? Is John Cena the defining factor in the PG era? Or is it the business as a whole? I'm curious if you guys could take my question a little bit further. It's something I've been thinking about. Like, I think about the Montreal Screwjob and Hogan going heel, and that makes me feel like that defines the Attitude era. These are just some thoughts I was having, guys. Love your show. Keep up the good work. And talk to you soon. Awesome, Ray. Well, Ray, thank you so much for reaching out to us, bro. Uh, And Doc and I would love to discuss the history of the wrestling eras. So we're going to take a time warp right now, Doc. You ready to go back in time to the ripe year of 1952? Uh, this is when we had the introduction of Capital Wrestling Corporation, the CWC, which was founded by Jess McMahon and good old Toots Mont, uh, <laughs> who was from the North, uh, National Wrestling Alliance, the NWA, as we know as the NWA. Uh, they founded the CWC back in the early 1950s to early 1960s. Uh, this is, there came a time... Uh, I believe it was the early 1960s when the original Nature Boy, Buddy Rogers, was the current NWA champion, but then he lost the title to Luthez. Right. Uh, a regular singles match, Luthez being from uh, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Uh, and after. Well, the, the match was in Toronto. The match was in Toronto. Luthez was, was in Toronto. From I'm Toronto. sorry. Yes. I think Luthez was from, the, was from like St. Louis or the Midwest gotcha. or something like that. That's what um, it was. Luthez, but this is also the end of Luthez's you know, long, illustrious career. Right. Because even before 1952, right, mm-hmm. there, there was uh, the NWA, I believe, was formed in 1948. If I'm not mistaken, that's when the first NWA world champion, the NWA as we know it now, was crowned right. Because they just did NWA 70. That makes sense. 1948. So 
that's kind of like the st- you know almost the starter I think of wrestling as we know it now. Before that, wrestling was like it was it's been staged since probably like the twenties with the with the with the Gold Dust Trio, which I know was a trio of promoters in the Midwest. And the names are are scratching me now, and I didn't even think we were going here tonight, so I didn't get the research enough. Um, but I know. Like that's when it really started being staged. Before that, it was a lot when you had guys like you know Carl Gotch and uh, Georg Hackenschmidt. Like it was a more. This is in the early 1900s. We're going back to here now. You know, it was more real. So 1948 was when, it, when you started having like a sanctioned body overseeing professional wrestling in the United States, or like a true sanctioned body, and that was what the NWA was. So you went into 1952. When it's in the Capital Wrestling Corporation was formed by by Vince's, I guess, granddad, Grand, right? Grandfather, yeah. Vince, yeah. Vince's, Vince's granddaddy. And the real name is Roderick something McMahon. Roderick, and they call him, I think it's Roderick Jesse McMahon. And they yeah, call him Jess for short. Right. And he was involved with, the, he was a big boxing promoter, if I'm not mistaken, Jess McMahon. And he ran a lot of shows at the Garden throughout his whole Throughout his whole uh, career as a promoter, which probably explains the Garden tie-in, the WWE that we know of, not as strong as it used to be, but you know, WWE grew up with the Garden was its home. Um, so you took us into there, and you took us up to when Buddy Rogers dropped the NWA World Title. I believe the year was uh, 1963, and he dropped it to Luthez in Toronto, and you know. Buddy Rogers was a big WWF attraction or CWC, I believe was still called then. And the McMahons did not like the idea of their champion losing the title. They didn't think he should have lost. So they split from the NWA. And that is when you get to the WW, more like the WWF we know today. That's the start of the Bruno San Martino era, which I think is we're defining as like, maybe the second era of WWE when Bruno started. Right. Because that first era is those early years, those early TV years with Buddy Rogers and uh, there's a gorgeous George and Killer Kowalski would be on WWE TV during those times. Yeah, so when you go into the 60s and the start of Bruno, those were the guys Bruno fought at the end of his career. Billy, at the end of his title, his, his run at the top of WWE, right, right. which his second title reign, I think, ended in 1977 or 1978. Um, so those are the guys he faced at the end. But in the beginning, you know, he was rolling with dudes like uh, Ivan Koloff. Those were, that was the big heel during those – and Nikolai Volkov. You know, early in Nikolai Volkov's yeah. career, that was those were the guys Bruno faced, and that was like the second goal, the second era of WWE, but their first true golden era. That was the Garden years, I like to call them. That's when they pretty much ran everything at the Garden, and like the entirety of the Italian population in New York would come out to cheer on Bruno San Martino. Yep. It's their hometown guy. <laughs> so, so now we're we're in the uh, the WWWF era, as you said, Doc. This right. is like the rise of Bruno San Martino, um, and then later on, now in the seventies, I believe it was the late seventies. Um, the marketing for marketing purposes, the Worldwide Wrestling Federation was renamed to the World Wrestling Federation. So that's where the WWF originated. I want to say right. that was nineteen seventy nine. Maybe it was mm-hmm. nineteen eighty. It was 1979. 1979. It was 1979, yes. So then 1979 uh, was the introduction of the World Wrestling Federation. 
and uh, between the years of 79 and 82, right before I was born, uh, Vincent K. McMahon, the son of Vincent J. McMahon, uh, founded Titan Sports Incorporated and applied the trademarks for the initials WWF. Then we enter what they, what they, meaning the smart marks and wrestling, uh, wrestling researchers of today, call the golden era. This is the, uh, this is the time when uh, Vince McMahon purchased Capital Sports from Gorilla Monsoon and Arnold Scullin, who were associates of Vince McMahon's father. So yeah, they, they, Vince is, Vince, the Vince McMahon we know and love took over control then. And he decided he was going to go global. This was unheard of in wrestling. Wrestling was territorial. You know, you just had every territory had its champion. And the NWA champ hopped from territory to territory, except WWF, because they weren't. They went back to the NWA for like a little bit during the like the, during the 70s, I believe. And they, it didn't last very long. Because right. they were right back to, you know, they just disagreed. They disagreed on who should be over. It's As always, the WWF style has always been a little more different than the other styles of wrestling, you know, in the world. Like, as you could always see when you watch Nitro that the, or WCW, that it was just, you know, the style was a little different. It wasn't the same type of wrestling. So Vince, you know, at this point, he started kind of taking over. He took over the AWA, which is Vern Gagne's promotion. And they kind of controlled Manitoba and Alberta and Minnesota and that whole part of the world. The, the places where it was really fucking cold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's actually where he found Hulk Hogan, too. The second time he found old, that Vern Gagne is who trained Hulk Hogan. And then Hulk had a run during that transition period where he was a heel. And he actually lost Andre in a steel cage match at Shea Stadium, which was one of the biggest cards WWE had ever put on. Um, and then he left again when he started doing movies. And he got, and then he kind of transitioned into the Hulk Hogan character. And that's when Vince took him back and said, I'm building this around you. And we're going to do this Hulkamania thing. And we're going to get with MTV. And that's when the golden era started. Uh, Vince also purchased, at, at some point, this led to him acquiring WCCW, which was the Dallas promotion run by the Von Erics. Mm-hmm. Um, it led to him acquiring Maple Leaf Wrestling in Canada, which was like Andre the Giant's second home. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it eventually led to him acquiring WCW, the last, the last conquering battle. Right. And various other little, little promotions. Like, I think Jerry Lawler... They bought Jerry Lawler's promotion when they brought Jerry Lawler to WWE, like things like that. They did a lot of those things. You know, when they bought Stampede Wrestling, which was Stu Hart's, was Stu Hart's, Hart's promotion Hart's in Calgary. Um, when they bought him, part of the deal was taking Jim the Anvil, Bret Hart, and I believe the British Bulldogs. But that was part of the deal of selling to WWE to Vince McMahon. Take my, take my four best and. Let's run within, and I'm sure there was other things, you know, other contractual obligations. But you know, the Alkamania era was was the, the I call it the first golden era in wrestling. Mm-hmm. You know, I consider the Attitude Era the second golden era, but this was the first golden era of wrestling because never was rest. I mean, when you watch some of those old like WrestleManias and those old like TV tapings, I mean, the crowd is just on fire the whole time. Well, this is also around the introduction of WrestleMania 1, the rock and wrestling connection. This is when professional wrestling became mainstream. This right. is when it was still this is when professional wrestling was transitioning into sports entertainment after the uh the founding uh, the founding of Titan Sports. 
Right. You know? But now let's just let's just list a couple names that were around that were wrestling during this WWF era or the I'm sorry the whole I'm sorry the Hulk Hogan era we'll call it the Golden Era. Uh, we had names like Jesse the Body Ventura, we had Superfly Jimmy Snuka, Andre the Giant, Junkyard Dog, the Magnificent Don Morocco. Uh, uh, you mentioned Roddy Piper, Volkoff, Roddy Piper, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Roddy Piper was Hulk Hogan's first real um, real enemy. Uh, right, as champion, you know, as, as champion, as he yes. was champion. That's right. what really started the whole Hulkamania era, right there. Was with uh, his feud with Roddy Piper. The Piper Hogan feud is what made Hulkamania work. That's what made it right. Yeah, yeah that's, that that's had what to headlined work. WrestleMania one was. You know, it was it was Piper and Orndorff versus Mr. T and Hogan. I wonder why that wasn't just a one-on-one match. Like, Who knows. Yeah, it's not like there was like raw back then where there was like weekly TVs to build that. Like, right. I just don't under- no. Who knows? I guess just to get the payday. Yeah, v- very odd booking. <laughs> but you know, I think it was just a matter of them to get all their big names on this one show. A lot of the early, the first two WrestleManias, if you really watch them, were booked really weird. Yes. Yeah, you know, the first one, the match selections weird. Uh, the second one. It was in three different locations, mm-hmm. and they had like closed circuit TV, like the like forty five minutes on Long Island, forty five minutes at the Rosemont Horizon, and forty five minutes at the old LA Sports Arena, or something something along those lines, which that's pretty absurd, but it worked. I mean, I think if I'm not mistaken, all three places were packed. Right. Um, WrestleMania three and four were probably the first two WrestleManias to really be booked really well on the map. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So anyway, so at the end of the of the Golden Era or Hulkamania Era, this is around the time uh, around the early nineties, ninety three, when Hogan leaves WWF. Um, mm. uh, he first just goes to do movies for a couple of years before he eventually goes to WCW in ninety five or was it ninety four? It was ninety four. I think he took like maybe a, like a year then. off. He took a year. No, okay, no, he took a, I think like a year off because his last match for and his first and his second WWE run technically, the last match of Hulkamania. Was in '93 came the rain when he dropped the title to Yokozuna, yeah, and then that was it. And that was, and, and then he was, and then he was, and he was, it was the last we saw of him until he came back at the NWO in '02, which we'll get to later. Right. So yeah. at this time, so now Hogan's leaving, and eventually he defects over to WCW. At the time, this was all because of uh, financial reasons. They uh-huh. had Ted Turner's b- bankroll backing WCW, and Eric Bischoff was a walking ATM. So. Once Hogan left from the Golden Era, you had the likes of Macho Man Randy Savage, Roddy Piper, uh, even Ultimate Warrior, Honky Tonkman, oh, Ted DiBiase, Jim Duggan, all Virgil, leaving WWF. Virgil. Virgil. Mr. Perfect. Rick Rude. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, fucking Brutus the fucking Barber Beefcake. You know? Yeah, I think I think Jake the Snake had a WCW run for a little bit. I don't remember if, if he did or not. I think he did. I did a very short WCW run, man. If I'm wrong, yeah. on someone can call me out on that on Twitter. Well, so at this time now, they're starting to lo- uh, WWF is losing a lot of their their mainstays uh, in in the promotion now because they're all defecting over to WCW. So now this introduces the new generation era. Uh, this is when we started to be introduced to wrestlers like Bret the Hitman Hart, Shawn Michaels, who were originally started off in tag teams, obviously Hart Foundation or the Rockers, and now they're on in their first singles run. You have The Undertaker, guys like Razor Ramon, Diesel, Yokozuna, Lex Luger, Owen Hart, 
we can go on and on with other names, right. but in terms of the other names, then we get run into stupid names like Crush and Avatar and the M- Mantar and all those other the s- ridiculous gimmick the names. The Squat Team. The Squat the Team. Squat <laughs> we, team. Learned, we talked about that last week. Native um, American Tatanka. <laughs> but this also, you know, uh, started to introduce to us, you know, the Click, which I think even at that time we all knew who the Click was. You know, Shawn Michaels, Nash, um, Hall. Sean Waltman, etc. Uh, Triple H. Triple H. Um, yep. This also led to the introduction in mid '96 uh, to the introduction of the New World Order in WCW, right? Uh, with the defection of Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, who were formerly known as Razor Ramon and Diesel in WWF. They come over to WCW and they start the NWO with a third man. No, the third man was never going to be Mabel. The third man was never going to be British Bulldog. Third man was the immortal Hulk Hogan. Um, yeah. Because, yes, gonna... the dirt sheets did say it was going to be either Mabel or fucking Davey Boy Smith. Don't know where the yeah. hell Dave Meltzer gets his, uh, his facts from. But so now this is Hulk Hogan. The biggest, one of the biggest iconic moments in wrestling is Hulk Hogan's heel turn. This essentially is what sparked the beginning of the Attitude Era. Because that, uh, what did I say that happened? That was in 96, right? That was in 96, yeah. Uh, that was at Summer of 96. Beach, right, right. Right. The Beach in 96. Um, following that, uh, we saw the likes of um, Alondra Blaze leaving WWF, coming to WCW, and dropping the women's title in the garbage pail and calling herself Medusa. And then we started to, um, in WWF now, start to introduce some new big blood feuds between the likes of Undertaker and Shawn Michaels, introducing stuff like the Hell in a Cell match. Also now, in terms of just the business itself in WWF, they're starting to grow. Around this time, they stopped going from the big four pay-per-views to having one pay-per-view every single month. So if it wasn't one of the big four pay-per-views, they were holding the in-your-house pay-per-views. I remember those, man. I used to friggin' spend the 40, 50, 60 bucks on pay-per-views to watch this shit. (laughs) Um, So essentially, this all leads us into the um, introduction of the Attitude Era, which essentially started in 1997. Right. So So we would say we we say 97 to 2002 is the Attitude Era. This is now the introduction of of groups like we said, the NWO. We have Degeneration X over on the WWF side. We have superstars like Goldberg, the Black and White Sting, Stone Cold Steve Austin. The introduction of a very young Rocky Maivia, who eventually becomes, right. you know, the most electrifying man in sports entertainment. So this all uh, is is um, is capped under the Attitude Era umbrella. This all happened during these few years. Right. So. So what's big to notice with the Attitude Era and what's different from the generation, new generation to Attitude Transition is like, you know, everything was kind of a hard transition. Like, you know, like the like the start of Hulkamania, I was just like a hard restart because there was no TV then. This was the first like transition to take place like during like Raw and Nitro and like weekly live television. So it was done a lot differently. Like Hulkamania, like, yeah, they gave Bret Hart a couple title reigns towards the end of like Hulk Hogan's time. But, you know, Hulk wouldn't put Bret over. We all know this to be yeah. true now. You know, Hulk, Hulk was, was, should have put Bret over at WrestleMania 9. He didn't do it. And that was the 
it's probably the worst WrestleMania ever. Let's be realistic here. That's how bad Hulkamania had gotten by the end. So, like, they waited too long to transition out of it. Um, with the new generation, you know, just to recap that on my end real quick, like, a lot of great talent. Really, really bad booking during this time. Really bad booking. They had, for all the defections, you know, WWF might have had of the old vets, they also brought in guys like Vader, and gave him absolutely nothing. You know, they also gave the undertaker, a guy who had a world title reign during Hulkamania, you know, during maybe the tail end of what's like, I consider the prime of Hulkamania. And he didn't get his next title reign until, you know, pretty much what, with a lot of people start say is, was when the seeds were planted for the attitude era. And that was the Bret Hart stone cold WrestleMania 13 match. That's when taker was finally champion. So he went through the whole new generation era pretty much not holding the world title and having to feud with guys like giant Gonzalez and IRS at times. It wasn't until his like it was blood feud, which Shawn Michaels started that you really saw undertaker start to rise out of it. But he said, you could see the seeds get planted for the attitude era, right. even before the Montreal screw job, which is the official start quote unquote started the attitude era. So, you know, DX was the start of it. DX came before the screw job. The Hart Foundation came before the screw job. That stuff all happened in WrestleMania 13, which was in March of 97. So that's when I think the real start of the Attitude Era was. That's when you really saw the storylines get a lot more, we'll call it risque for lack of a better term. Yeah. And I always said, you know, I know the, the record books like to say WrestleMania 17, which is 2001 is the end of the Attitude Era. We have in our notes is 2002. I think it really officially died its last breath at WrestleMania 20 in 2004 when Rock and Austin both left, Goldberg left, Lesnar left. Um, there was another. Um, there was another big leaving. Oh, Benoit won the, Benoit title. Won the title. Eddie Guerrero. Guerrero the title. Eddie Guerrero had champ. Guerrero had the title in time before <laughs> like that. John Cena won the U.S. title at WrestleMania 20 over the Big Show. So that was like that's when like. You could really, that's when the Attitude Era, I think, really rode their, like, it had their last dying breath. My English ain't working so well right now. <laughs> you know, because they try, you know, and even during the Attitude Era, towards the end of it, they tried to bring the NWO to WWF after the purchase of WCW to try to, you know, capture some of that magic again with the three original members, Hall, Nash, and Hall Hogan. And the only one that really captured any magic was Hogan. I mean, Nash spent most of that run hurt. You know, um, right. and Scott Hall was he was, he was a shell. He was a shot demons. Yeah, he was a shell of us. He was a shell of Razor Ramon by that point. Razor Ramon put on some awesome matches in the, in the new generation era. There's actually a lot of good matches in the new generation era. You know, a lot of Shawn Michaels best early matches. You know, it was at the beginning of his main event run. You know, Bret Hart was always Bret Hart can make anybody look good in the ring. So there was a lot of good matches. And you go back in that era, you look for it's just a lot of bad booking. A lot of bad finishes, a lot of stupid finishes. Um, that's what really played the Attitude Era and the, the, the New Generation Era. And they fixed that problem with the Attitude Era because they always had the right guys over. Right. Always. Always. Yeah. But I definitely agree, man. The end of the Attitude Era pretty much happened once, you know, WCW and ECW were purchased by, by the McMahons, by Vince McMahon. And they started that terrible, terrible alliance invasion angle. 
uh, that was just done really poorly. They didn't have the right names in the places right. that they should have been. They should have had guys like Sting, the NWO, Goldberg in this big Diamond Dallas Page should have been should have not been the motivational speaker or the fucking stalker who stalks Undertaker's wife. They could have done that so differently. And mm-hmm. I listened to podcasts where people try and rebook the entire invasion. Uh, I would love to see that. I, I would have loved to have seen that done the right way. I mean, the only like huge WCW name that I can remember from the invasion is Booker T. Booker T. Yep. He's the only one that actually came in during the invasion angle and did something with his career. Right. Nobody else really lasted. Everyone else fell short. I mean, we can't RVD. RVD. Yeah. RVD, I guess so. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I think if, I think if anything, RVD and Booker T and that's it. DDP never held any titles. He did nothing. Raven did nothing. It was towards the end. It was towards the end of DDP's career. He was, he was winding down his career by that point. Guys like Benoit and Guerrero were already in WWE right. uh, or WWF still at this time before the invasion. So, so, so was Chris Jericho. Only mm-hmm. two that came out of the invasion angle shining were Booker T and RVD. You're you're very very right. Couldn't agree yeah. more. Um, so yeah, so eventually the Alliance invasion and the introduction of the NWO and WWF essentially ended the Attitude Era. So then we fast forward to 2002, and that's when WWF has to now become World Wrestling Entertainment, and they are now WWE. So this, when the introduction of the new brand came is when essentially the new era, the Ruthless Aggression era started. This is the era where we saw the likes of uh, John Cena, JBL, Randy Orton, Brock Lesnar, Edge was coming into his own at this time. Uh, again, Benoit, Guerrero, Rey Mysterio, Kurt Angle even were all big names. Uh, we mentioned RVD as well. All very big names uh, during this ruthless aggression era. More importantly, this was when the seeds of the man we know of as John Cena was planted. Yep, this you is know. what it all. And the guy started. who this thing, yeah, this is it's the guy who carried WWE through the first decade of this millennium was John Cena, and this is the ruthless aggression era is where John Cena got his start as the Doctor of Thugonomics, yep. the best Cena character ever, still to this day. And there's been so many talks of people wanting him to turn heel and go back to that gimmick. I don't know how, how that would go over. Uh, actually, you know what? Awesome. I think it'll go over it would be fucking awesome. great. Because he's good at it. He's mm-hmm. good at it. He's, he's funny. So essentially, the Ruthless Aggression era pretty much ended um, around 2008. Uh, it was actually the Great American Bash pay-per-view in 2008. It was the last WWE event that had an adult-oriented rating. And it was the following event, which I believe was a Raw or SmackDown, whatever the hell was the next, probably a Raw, was the first time a televised show had a TV PG rating. And that right there in 2008 is what started the PG era. Um, So the PG era lasted until about 2013. That's where we were introduced to the likes of guys like CM Punk, Alberto Del Rio, Daniel Bryan, John Morrison, Sheamus. Yeah. Wade Barrett, Ryback, The Miz. The uh, Nexus this is when the PGR, the Nexus all came in. Yeah. Yeah. So, Doc, what do you want to say about the PG era? Now, this was around the era that I was not watching wrestling. So I can I can kind of lump the PG era and the reality era in together as far as I'm concerned. I think they're kind of one and the same. I think, you know, the reality era was a little more risque than the PG era. It, just, it, was, it was boring storylines for wrestling. 
there really wasn't much going. There was a lot of newer talent. They were still trying to find that next crop to take like Triple H and Cena and Batista and Orton's place eventually. I think they found it now. I think it just took them a little longer than they would have liked to. Uh, just the shows weren't as smooth. The wrestling wasn't as good. I mean, there's really no, there's outside of Punk Cena at, at, at Money in the Bank, there's no five star matches from this era. You know, this is before NXT. It's just, it's kind of, and you're coming out, you're going from like extreme ruthless aggression to complete opposite. So you're getting rid of a good chunk of your fan base. You're, you're kind of alienating and you know, wrestling cyclical. And there's one thing we can learn from this whole talk. We just said, is that cyclical? Like what we're about to walk into this new era is not going to last forever. It's going to last probably three to five years. And then something else is going to happen. And WWE, they grow with their audience. You know, and there's a, there's a, there's a reason that Hulkamania ended and the attitude era began because the kids who liked Hulkamania were now teenagers and they, they wanted something that teenagers more enjoy, which is, risque, sexy, whatever it is. And I think you're going to kind of see that now. And now you have like, you know, guys like us who are still into it. You know, we don't want to see kitty shit either. You know, we want to see, you know, I I don't need to see anything ultimately crude or demeaning, but I don't mind some risque, you know, I don't, I want it to be a little, I want it to be must see. I want some shock value. So, you know, I think you didn't get any of shock value value into PG era. Nothing was ever shocking. The only time it was shocking is if like there was a big return, like when The Rock came back and wrestled a couple of WrestleManias. Like that was the most that was that was those your when Brock Lesnar returned during the PG era. You know, those were your those were your big pop moments, not anything shocking on TV. At least with the reality era, you got to see the rise of like Daniel Bryan, the rise of the Shield. And like you know, you could tell there was finally some future main event guys who, like you know, now twenty nineteen, are the stars of the company. Right. You know, during the PG era, though, you did get to see some uh, good feuds at the time between guys like Cena and Randy Orton. You know, I'm not going to say they were five star matches, but that was a very well known um, feud during all that time. Yeah, but they got it. They they ruined it. They 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 just all they had. That's so, all they had. Well, and they, did it, they overdid it. Yeah. 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 This also was the introduction of the authority, uh, and which is what led you know into the reality era because the authority now is trying to hold back the likes of Daniel Bryan. So there's that big feud between Daniel Bryan and the authority. This is also right. around the time where CM Punk, um, I think he quit WWE. This was his final, his last time quitting WWE uh, because he was being mistreated. He had a misdiagnosed staph infection. Royal uh, Rumble 2014. Royal yes. Rumble 2014. 20- that's what it was, and he, he, yes. uh, he walked out. So that's um, essentially what started the reality era right there. Uh, and that only lasted for a couple of years, 20, 2014 to 2016. And before we just move on, another thing that you know really hurt the PG era, I think, was Edge having to retire. Because he was a guy that kind of figured out how to do the transition, and they really lost a huge really main lost. event. Because yeah. his feuds with Taker during this era were pretty cool. You know, I could get into his taker feuds. Um, but yeah, now you have this new era and you have AJ Styles and you have Finn Balor and you have Drew McIntyre coming back. He's a guy who, who kind of got lost in the PG era, but now is finding his footing in this quote unquote new era. And it's because you're, you're, you're going to start seeing. You're forgetting to mention some names, though. Like what? 
Becky Lynch, Ruby Charlotte Flair, oh, Ruby Riot, right, right, Ronda right, Rousey, right, right. the ladies. Yes, yes, the ladies. Did I mention the Ruby ladies. Riot? I think I did, but I'll mention her again. Yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that's, and we'll see what this era winds up being called down the line. So, yeah, so the introduction of the new era started back around WrestleMania 32, where we saw the introduction of the likes of Kevin Owens, Finn Balor, Sami Zayn. Uh, AJ Styles had just joined WWF in 2016 at Royal Rumble and has had a hell of a of a career already. We saw the, at this point, the Shield was already broken up. So we got to see some really stellar singles runs from Roman Reigns, Dean Ambrose, Seth Rollins. Uh, and we've got to be introduced to guys like Baron Corbin, the return of Jinder Mahal, like you said, return of Drew McIntyre. Uh, and of course, I mentioned you know, all the women in the wrestling, Becky Lynch, Charlotte Flair, Sasha Banks, Bailey, who are revitalizing the women's wrestling division uh, in, the, in the, the whole world right now with what the stuff they're doing on WWF television, WWE television. How have you been saying the F so much tonight? I know, right? <laughs> but so, yeah, so now we're in the midst of the, the new era. And, uh, yeah, I'm really interested to see where this goes from here and what the next era is going to bring and what's going to be the the official end of the new era. Yeah, me too. And, I'm, I'm, you know, I think it's going to end with, you know, it's I think AEW is going to be a big part of this new era. I think that's what makes the most exciting. I, I think you mentioned it, man. It's, it's uh, going to be a vicious circle, and I wouldn't be surprised if we saw another style of Monday Night Wars because now I think Vince may have some competition out there and if he has competition that's only going to be good for Vince because that means Vince is going to have to adapt to the changes he's going to have to make changes on his programming which is going to be new and fresh for us the WWE Universe to sit back and watch each and every week yeah absolutely agreed he's gonna be forced to do it He's going to be forced to not pull any punches, and he's going to have to make sure he's on top, like always. Yeah, and it's going to bring out ruthless Vince, which is, you know, the Vince that books best. I think we've yes. learned that over the years. Agreed. Well, Ray, thank you again for uh, for writing in. I Hopefully we got to answer your question. That was a little bit in long form for you, but we gave you the whole rundown of wrestling history. As you can tell, we're a bunch of marks here, and we love wrestling, so we just had to bestill our knowledge on everyone in the fourth wall fam <laughs> they don't call me the doc for nothing i got a final thought and it's simple and it's to the point. You put Finn in the title match. Give Finn the belt. If you're really committed to shaking it up, give Finn the belt. Give Demon Finn the belt. That is all. That was well put, Doc. My final thought is I want to know when the WWE is going to realize the missed opportunity they have with Ruby Riot. And while they aren't capitalizing <laughs> on this talented main eventer they have right now on Monday Night Raw. Oh now, God. I love the Riot Squad. If that means pulling her away from Liv Morgan and Sarah Logan and being a singles wrestler, if that's what she needs, then fine. But 
why are they capitalizing on someone like Ruby Riot? And you know what? It's not only Ruby Riot. We also have Ember Moon. I want to put into that conversation. Bailey, I want to put that into the conversation as well. I love that we're focusing a lot on the women's division lately, and we have big names. <clears throat> like we mentioned, Ronda, Charlotte, Becky, Asuka. That's the Triple H, Rock, Steve Austin, Undertaker of the new era. Well, we have the likes of Sasha and Bailey. That's the big show and Mick Foley. And then we have Kane, and that's Ruby Riot. So we have our attitude error right there. So what the hell are they doing? <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. Give guy. it time. That was a pretty good comparison. No, give it time, man. Give it time. I, I could see Ruby Riot having a really good year this year, but I just hope they don't miss the opportunity with her because she yeah, is fucking I mean, great, yeah. great in the ring, great on the mic. All of her segments are always perfect. They just need to capitalize on her. And there's and, and there's going to be women nipping at her heels soon. Very if soon. They're not, or, if they're not already. Right. Well, fam, that's all the time we have for today. And if this is your first time tuning in, I am JC Bones. You can follow me on Twitter at JC Bones. And I'm Doc Haas. You can find me on Twitter at D-R-H-A-A-S-E, the number four W-C. And we are the Fourth Wall WrestleCast. Please be sure to follow our good brother, Johnny Smarks, at Johnny Smarks a lot. And don't forget to check out his new show, Smarky's Singles Run. If you've enjoyed the Fourth Wall Experience and want to know how you can support us, first you can start by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Fourth Wallcast. And while you're there, please be sure to follow Wrestle Addict Radio on Twitter at Addict Wrestle. Then, as you're listening to us, be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Next, go to represent.com, search for Wrestle Addict Radio, and buy the Fourth Wall merch. We got t-shirts, we got hoodies, and we got more exclusive merchandise coming out in the near future. Last but not least, the big news we released tonight, February 1st, we're going to be launching our Patreon page. February 1st, go to patreon.com backslash fourth wall wrestlecast. And for as low as $1 a month, you can support us and receive exclusive audio content, exclusive video content, exclusive merchandise, rewards, and much more. Please be sure to tell all your friends to like, share, and subscribe and help this thing grow and grow and continue to be the biggest draw for the critics, the marks, the casual, and the hardcore. Once again, we are the Fourth Wall WrestleCast. Goodbye and good night. This was fun. It was. I'll catch you. Uh, I'll, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll chat during the week. <laughs> we, we will chat tomorrow, I'm sure. All right, man. I'll right, catch bro. you later. Be easy. Be breezy. Don't be sleazy.
Yeah, that. Peace, bro. Later. <laughs>